Well, good morning, church. How is everyone this morning? There's good, well, good, well. Yeah, it's always nice. It's, it's, it's summer loud, summer faint, but nonetheless, glad that you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Cody King, and I'm the Edgewood Campus Pastor, and it's uh, always a joy and a privilege to be over here on this campus to share with you all live. Uh, so thank you for allowing me to do it this morning. Um, to those that are joining us in Edgewood, thank you for allowing me to come over and share with this campus, and thank you for those that are watching online just for spending some time with us this morning. So we're wrapping up um, this series this morning on regeneration. Uh, if you don't know what regeneration is, if this is your first time with us or you've missed the last handful of weeks, regeneration is a ministry that meets on Monday nights here at this campus um, from 7 to 9 p.m. It's a recovery ministry in Christ. Um, regeneration is, is, is a place that you can come and you can begin to work through struggles that you have, because we all have struggles in some way. Uh, from one degree or another, we all struggle with something. But what we come to realize through this ministry is that there's one thing that every single person under heaven uh, shares in common when it comes to struggle, and that is a sin struggle. The things that we struggle with individually as far as, say, alcoholism or substance abuse or pride or fear of man... Um, addiction to pornography, and a myriad of other things, we find that these are all symptoms of the greater issue and the greater problem that we have, and that is simply with sin. And regeneration is a ministry that helps us recognize and realize our number one problem. And everything else that we struggle with, the patterns that we form our, li our lives around are just symptoms of that sin. So when we come, the last few weeks, we've talked about God's grace, and looked at that thing being the center of this ministry and what the ministry is founded on, and that is God's grace. In steps one through three, we realize our need for God's grace. When we realize our need for God's grace, we admit that we're powerless over the sin that's present within us. We believe, and then we trust in the one that has power over it, in Christ. Steps four through six, we then when we realize our need, we receive God's grace and the way we begin to take a fearless inventory of our sin. And oftentimes we can come to that point just as believers and just as people, and we, have to th and we think through, why do I have to bring up all of these things from my past? That was done then. Why do I have to dredge up all these things that are difficult? But the point is in that is that we do that inventory so that we have an understanding of not just what the sin is, but more so why we did it to begin with. Because there are things in our past, there are things in my past that I cannot pull out of my memory bank that I wish I could. There's perhaps, I'm sure, I'm certain that there are things that have happened in your past that you would desire to be removed from your mind, never to be remembered again, but that's not the case. But the point is to recognize, though that thing happened, it can very well influence the way we see and we respond to, respond to things presently. So once we understand that, the point of inventory is to understand those things. And then once we have all that sin in front of us, we understand how we got where we're at. We confess that sin to one another, and then we repent from that sin. We walk away from it. Then last week, we talked about steps step seven through nine in our response to God's grace. If we realize the need for it, we've received it, now we need to respond to it. And in our response, we follow Christ. And as we follow his example, then we forgive those who have harmed us and then we make amends with those that we have harmed. And that brings us to the last quarter of the ministry, steps 10 through 12. And when we approach steps 10 through 12, we find that there's regeneration now because of God's grace. And the idea with regeneration is we come to a point where, where we begin to look outward. All right, we, we, through steps one through nine, did a lot of work to a point where we worked on ourselves and worked on following Christ and making our things, our relationships right with other people. But now in regeneration, because of God's grace, we start to look outward and we move from the place that we're at. But if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Isaiah 61. Verses one through four give us a good illustration of what this looks like. We get to see God's grace, but we also get to see a response to God's grace as it pertains to these particular steps that we come to. In Isaiah 61, if you, um, 
If you know your Gospels, in Luke chapter 4, after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the first place that he goes when he begins his earthly ministry is he goes to his hometown of Nazareth, and he enters the synagogue, and this is the scroll that he grabs. Jesus grabs this scroll, and he reads from this scroll, and then he reads it, he sets it down, and he tells the people there, he says that today this this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. So as we read this from that lens, understand what Isaiah is saying, the one he is speaking of is Jesus Christ and the grace that he brought and bestowed. So read this with me, Isaiah 61, verse 1. Now Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So he's writing from the view of the anointed one. He says, uh, The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now see, here we find a picture of God's grace. We have the anointed one, the Messiah. We find this this fulfillment in Christ that he came and brought grace. But he brought good news, brought the gospel. To who? To the poor. He bound up the, the wounds of the brokenhearted. He brought comfort to those who mourn. He proclaimed liberty to the captives. The idea here is for you and I, we are those that would be poor. We should be those who mourn. We are the brokenhearted. When we think through, if you've thought through in the last handful of weeks, and we've talked about this ministry of regeneration, if it has entered into your mind, maybe I should go be a part of that. You're in a good place to have that thought, but the reason you're having that thought is whether you realize it or not, you are the brokenhearted. You are the poor. You are those that mourn. You need healing. You need God's grace. You need to realize your need for God's grace. And here, Isaiah tells us that the anointed one, Jesus, is the one that binds that up, that brings the good news, proclaims liberty, sets it freedom those that are captive, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. But look at verse 4. Now here's the response. Verse 4, he says, Now they, those who do accept that grace, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So in verses 1 through 3, you see what Christ does. Verse 4, you see what those that receive Christ do in response to that. Right? So Christ comes bringing good news, proclaiming liberty, binding up wounds, granting comfort. And all those things is what Christ does. But in response to that, who are the ones that rebuild cities? Who are the ones that that begin to repair the ruined cities? The devastations of many generations. The idea in context of Isaiah writing this, he's writing this to a nation, the nation of Israel, who is about to incur God's judgment for their sin. The nation of Israel, they had every sin struggle under heaven. Anything that you and I today we struggle, may struggle with, as far as a specific sin, they struggled with. But their problem was sin, and God is about to judge them for it. But the promise here in Isaiah is that one day an anointed one will come, an anointed one will come and he will set all things right. Everything that was devastated, everything that was broken, everything that was ruined will be made right by his grace, but those that go and do the rebuilding are those that receive that grace. So when we approach the end of this ministry and we look at steps 10 through 12, we realize, and what we should come to understand and learn, is that if you go through the ministry of regeneration, your recovery is not just for you. But if we, as we approach Christ, if we understand our sinfulness and our brokenness and we want to find healing If we think that we come to Christ just so we can find that healing and it's our healing and no one else's and we stop right there, we've missed a very big part of the point of receiving grace and what God has called us to do. So what we should realize is that regeneration is discipleship. This 12-step ministry that we have and we call regeneration is a discipleship program. 
But the idea of discipleship, it is something that is meant to be shared. You don't disciple yourself and stay right where you are. To make disciples, you give that away. Jesus called 12 disciples, and he taught them, he led them, they walked with him, they followed him. And then when he went to be with the Father, he sent them out to make more disciples. Paul gives a very clear statement to this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, What you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Entrust to who? Just anybody? No. He says, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's a picture of discipleship. As you entrust those, what you have learned, to faithful men and women, faithful people, who then go and entrust that to another and to another and to another. That's the idea of regeneration. But our ability to do this deepens. It deepens dramatically when we continue to deepen our intimacy with the Lord, with the one who enables us to regenerate others through his ministry. And it's a ministry that you and I have received from him. Because we don't receive grace from him that exists just for us. And it's meant to just settle on us and not be given away to others. So steps 10, 11, and 12 is we continue. We deepen our intimacy with the Lord and then we regenerate others. So let's look at those steps together. So step 10, continue. So what does it mean to continue something? Definitionally, it means uh, to go on or keep on as in some course of action. I think every one of us in this room probably understand the concept of continuing, but to, to look at it definitionally, it kind of focuses my mind in many ways. But it means to last or endure. To remain in a place, it means to abide or stay. It makes me think of John fifteen five, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me or remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. But then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the idea is there, needs, there has to be a continuation of something. And in that context, it's to remain in him, it's to abide with him. But the overall implication with continuing anything is that you have already been doing that thing. Or you've already done that thing and you're continuing to do it. In this case, it's steps one through nine. As we look at step 10, continue says that we continue to take personal inventory, and when we sin, we promptly confess and turn to walk with Christ. So steps one through nine have been done at this point. And they're the things that we're meant to continue to do. And we're meant to continue to do those things daily. Now you may think, if you've been through regeneration or you're currently in regeneration, and you hear that statement, steps one through nine are meant to be done daily. All right, so we've covered steps one through nine in three weeks worth of teaching, roughly 40 minutes at a time. If you're in regeneration, steps one through nine, you cover over roughly nine to 10 months. And now you're being told you're meant to daily work steps one through nine. That can seem exhausting. If you're joining us for the first time, I encourage you to go back, listen to the last couple messages. More so than that, I encourage you to plug into regeneration tomorrow at seven, seven o'clock on this campus and find out what these steps mean more directly and more in more detail. But how is it that steps one through nine can take place daily? Why should they take daily, take place daily? But the reason they should is because sin still exists. As long as you and I are alive on this side of heaven, we're still going to contend with our flesh. That's why Paul says, he says that we should walk by the spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But if we cease to walk in the Spirit, that implies we're going to begin to gratify the desires of our flesh. So there's always the inclination in us to sinfulness in some way. But to continue on is to move past that sin. And it's to work through those steps. So how do you do that every single day? Well, every single day I can admit to myself that I'm powerless over my sin. But God is all-powerful. And I can believe in his grace and what he came to do. And I can trust him to do what only he can do. And I can take account of my thoughts, my actions, and my mindset in a particular day. And take an inventory of that. Where I need to, I can confess that. I have men in my journey group and other people within the body here that at a moment's time, if I recognize my heart is against something in some way, and I need to confess this to someone, 
I can pick up the phone and call, or I can send a text that's like, hey, I need to confess I just did this, or I'm on the verge of doing this. Would you pray for me? And that's the idea of James 5.16. So we confess, confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Those are things that can happen daily at a moment's time. And then we repent of that thing. Then we continue to follow Christ. We give forgiveness where needed. We make amends where needed. But sin will always be present. Therefore, we must learn to look to God, continue to look to God, look to ourselves, and we should look to others. So we look to God when, again, we realize our need for His grace, that we are powerless. He is all-powerful. We trust Him. We look to self as we receive His grace, as we do that inventory, confess and repent sin. And this is always something that should be present. Now, it can almost seem exhausting. I've had conversations before. Is, is man, I'm tired. I'm tired of confessing sin. You know what comes to mind? Stop sinning. I'm sorry for, I'm not, I'm not, being, I'm not seeking to be flippant about that because I can struggle with the same thing. But if we grow weary, tired and weary of anything, be tired and weary of doing good. But don't just be tired and weary of confessing and doing the thing that is absolutely necessary to put our hearts in a position to do good in the first place. But if we're, if we're tired and weary of confessing, but confession without repentance is, is, is nothing. It's just words in the air. But that's the idea when we think through that. If we recognize our sin, but we continue to do that sin, knowing it's wrong, and we exhaust ourselves, returning back to that thing. We come over here, and we drop that right there. And we come over here, and we feel good for just a little bit. And then all of a sudden, we just find ourselves just inching right back to that thing that we just dropped. And we get there, and man, I should go confess this, but I'm so tired of confessing. you know. And then we just pick that up, and we put that right back on. And then we just start to carry things again. But the idea is if we're not continually taking an account of our hearts and our minds and what we're prone to fall into, confessing that to one another, seeking the accountability of brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll return back to the same thing. So it has to continue. So we should look to self, but then we also look to others. And we look to others when we're responding to God's grace. As we follow Christ, and His example is to forgive and to make amends because we found forgiveness in Him. We've been forgiven much, we should forgive much, is what He says. But if you recall from last week, sin causes things to die. Always. Where sin exists, death ultimately will exist. So be it a life, be it a relationship, be it a reputation, be it innocence, but something, anything that sin can get a hold of, sin will seek to kill and destroy. That is why we should keep short accounts with one another. That is why whenever we wrong someone, Jesus in Matthew 5 makes very clear our response. When we know that someone has something against us, again, from last week, we lay that gift at the altar. We, so we cease our worship and go make right with that person that we come back and we worship. But equally so, if we know that someone has sinned against us, we are again to go. We're never in a place, church, where we just stay where we're at. We're always meant to go and make things right with other people. But now if you, like me, ever come to a place where you struggle to see clearly the areas that you need to confess or repent or you need to make, or make amends or give forgiveness, or if you're like me, you find yourself in a, a day or an attitude or, or a week of an attitude that's just poor. Oftentimes, I can just have a poor attitude or outlook on things. I can lack joy. I can seem bitter. I can be short with people. I can be short with people at work, here on staff. I can be short with my wife. I can be short with my, with my father and mother-in-law whom I live with. There are many things where I can be frustrated in and my heart be set against them. And I can find myself sinful. And if I'm sinful, I'm setting myself against the Lord. But the idea is to come to understand that. But here's a place that I go when I lack the clarity that I need, when I feel that tug away from the Lord to something else, say the flesh, my frustration, personally, it's not a big leap for me to go from frustration to anger. But the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, James 1. And I'm aware of that. But to see that, I go to the Lord. So here, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. This is a practical prayer that you can pray to seek the Lord on areas where you feel weak. 
But the psalmist says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Church of Promise, every single time I feel as if I'm pulled away from the Lord in such a way, and I'm not sure why, I go right here, Psalm 139, 23 and 24, and I pray this prayer. And sometimes that happens over the course of the week or two weeks, and the answer doesn't come quick, but then all of a sudden one day, bam, clarity hits, and the Lord gives me eyes to see my weakness and where I'm failing. If someone else hadn't pointed it out in me already, by his grace, his grace is sufficient for me that it points it out in me. Cody, here's where you're failing. Here's why you're frustrated. Here's why you're angry. Here's why you're responding that way. And his spirit prompts me to stop that, confess that, repent from that, and seek to make right to those that I've wronged. I don't always do that the way that I should. But nonetheless, it's there. But earlier in that same psalm, and this is an important note as we move on, earlier in that very same psalm, the psalmist writes of how intimately you and I are known by the Lord. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We were intricately woven together in our mother's womb. Before any one of our days came to be, every one of those days was formed. The Lord knows us intimately through and through. The question then becomes is how intimately do we know the Lord? And that leads us to step 11. Is that we in its intimacy, we seek to deepen our relationship with God daily and depend on His power to do His will. I'll leave that out there one more time. We seek to deepen our relationship with God daily and depend on His power to do His will. The number one way you and I can rip ourselves away from fellowship with the Lord is begin to seek to do things in our power according to our will. And even when we seek to do His will, if we seek to do His will in our power, we're not moving forward in any way. We deepen our relationship with Him and daily depend on His power. It is His power that makes perfect our weakness. His grace is always sufficient for you and I. It is in His power that we take refuge. In His power we find strength. We find everything that we need there to do His will. But when we get that flipped, when we start looking to ourselves to continue to do things, the things that we used to do, the reason we came to regeneration is because we're trying to carry all this stuff and it's dragging us down, it's a beat down, it's frustrating, and it's tiresome. In our power we can't do it, but in His power, His grace, we can leave it there Walk away. And if we ever in our power find ourselves inching back to that temptation, we may find if we're in deep enough relationship with the Lord, when we get back here thinking it's there, we look down and it's all gone. Church, that's the grace of the Lord and that's the power of Christ that exists according to His will if we would but seek after that thing. But as it comes to our recovery, Nate Graybill, who um, he wrote most, if not all, of this curriculum. Uh, he had a major hand in the writing of it, but he says this specifically around this step. He says, if we only focus on not sinning and taking care of things that get in the way of our relationship with God, but never embrace, enjoy, and grow in the relationship, we've missed the whole point. Jesus called 12 men to follow him. Many others followed him as well, but he called 12 men to be his disciples and to follow after him. And if you read the Gospels and the accounts of the Gospels, you will read and find that these men, they followed Jesus, but over time, in their, as they deepened their relationship with their leader, with their teacher, with their master, with their savior, as they deepened in that, they recognized their love for him more so than how awesome it is to be their disciple. Because you read the Gospels, it was not an easy thing to follow Christ. And if you read the rest of the New Testament following that, it is not an easy thing to continue to follow Christ, but His grace is sufficient in all those things. But if we're seeking in our recovery to be healed from a specific sin or a specific issue that's tiring us, and we've come to that point where we've found healing in that, and we're good with just that, then we've missed the whole point, because the point is to be good with the Lord. And when we're good with the Lord and we desire to deepen in that goodness and in that relationship, everything else will continue to fall away. 
John 17, 3, Jesus says this. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know, uh, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you. Now, when he says that they know you, the word in the Greek, it carries more than just a, that they have knowledge of you. But they know you. There is, there is a relational, experiential, intimate something that occurs there. It's an intimate knowledge that we have of one another. We are most certainly intimately known by the Lord. But the more we seek to know him with that same level of intimacy, the deeper that relationship will go and the more clearly we'll see his will. The way we do that practically is we do that through worship. We do that through prayer. We do that through the study of his word, serving his people. Those are what we call spiritual disciplines, and those things deepen that relationship. But it's to know him experientially. It's like a husband and a wife. They know one another personally, intimately, and experientially. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, the writer says that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. So the idea is there, he, he uses the word knew. He knew his wife. In order to bear a son, we know what has to happen. They enter into sexual intercourse with one another, but the writer uses this term, he knew her, to illustrate the intimacy that is present. I mean, a sidebar argument and teaching could come right off of that as far as why sex is reserved for a husband and a wife in the confines of marriage. Because that's the intimacy that takes place when that union takes place. And it is reserved for a husband and a wife. But we can use that to see the level of intimacy that we are meant to have with the Lord. To be known and to know him in such a way. Now Jesus plainly said, he says, and this is eternal life. That they know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So there's no mincing of words here. Eternal life begins when we know Not simply have a knowledge of, but when we know God and we know his son, Jesus Christ, that's when eternal life begins for you and I. And if we keep that at the front of our minds, if our focus goes there, we can't help but deepen our intimacy and our relationship with him. But there is a hindrance. There's a hindrance that we we all can have when it comes to intimacy with God. We can find ourselves clean and sober. We can go through this process of regeneration. We can find ourselves healed from a myriad of different sin struggles. But we can also remain unsatisfied. If it's enough for us to be healed, oh, I'm just good here. I don't struggle with that anymore. But still be unsatisfied because there's still more that should be there. There's still more that's within us to have. But when that happens, relapse and returning to old patterns can occur. Because if we remain unsatisfied in just the sin struggle being removed, it's not enough to fill the hole that was meant for the Lord in our hearts. We were created for a relationship, church. We were created for a relationship with the creator of the universe. First and foremost, the reason you were created was to be in relationship with your creator. Sin broke that. But temptations will look all the more tempting and fulfilling when we remain unsatisfied in that relationship. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud piles in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He says, We are far too easily pleased. Church, we can become way too enamored with the world in which we live. Church, I understand Addiction. I understand that level of sinfulness. I understand a desire and a proclivity to grab a hold of something and find fulfillment in that thing. To simply enough to find pleasure or a feel good in that thing. But when I came to Christ and I fully laid bare my sin and understood the nature of that sin, and I trusted in the only one that could remove that desire from me, and I placed my heart fully in his hand, and I fully started to follow him desiring his will over my own, all those things, all those addictions, all those desires were taken away from me by his grace. 
But if I start to walk away from that relationship with him, I promise you, I am certain the enemy knows my ditches. He knows my ditches better than I know my ditches. I can promise you, if I walk away from a deep, abiding, intimate relationship with my Lord, I will find my flesh desiring those things again, and I will have a proclivity to return right back to them. And in many ways, devoid of his spirit, if I'm acting on my own, I will pick it up, I will smoke it, I will drink it, I will put it in my body, I will do this, this, and that, because it feels good the further I get away from the Lord. So we must continue on deepening our intimacy and relationship with the Lord. But the problem we run into is we become okay with just not sinning. And if we stop there, if we're okay with just not sinning, and we're missing the point. Again, Nate Graybill points out, he says that steps one through nine are a toolbox to help you continue in step 10, but it is intimacy with God that empowers the continuation and deepens the understanding of what you're continuing for, and that is eternity with him. Church, if you are here, if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, his spirit is present within you. There is an eternity with him awaiting you. It is there for you. It is set there for you. It is your inheritance. It is your prize. It is your reward. And if our focus, our perspective doesn't go there and it remains here, we will find ourselves looking somewhere else for fulfillment instead of the one place that we'll find it. But there is an eternity with him that is waiting. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Everything that we would desire is found in Him. In its fullest sense, every bit of joy we think that we would get in something that this earth provides will be fleeting and will pair in comparison to that which will come. But we're far too easily pleased. But when we are overflowing with the satisfaction of joy in a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our Creator, there is no room for mud pies. None of those things will matter to you and I. And this intimacy that we have, it will ultimately lead us to step 12, and that is regenerate. To generate something means this. It means to bring into existence, to cause to be, to produce, or to create. So to regenerate would mean to recreate something or reproduce something. It's to bring something that has died back into existence. And this is what God has done for us. So step 12, we regenerate. It's because of our new lives in Christ then that we carry God's message of reconciliation to others and practice these biblical principles in every aspect of our lives. But note that the point there. Because of our new lives in Christ, because of the grace that we've received, remember Isaiah 61? Because of the grace that we have received, we respond by taking that out. We carry God's message of reconciliation to others. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, Paul writes to the church in, in Corinth and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean to reconcile? To reconcile is, is to restore to friendship or harmony. It can also mean to settle or to bring to agreement. So through Christ, God sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin so that new life could be given to that which died. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But through the grace of God, we have new life in Christ and he's reconciled us. We've come into agreement. That's coming to Christ. That's step one. It's admitting. It's being in agreement with him that I'm a sinner. The point of regenerate is to go out and to help others regenerate. It's me standing here and saying, I am a sinner. My sin separated me from a holy God. I was dead in that sin, but I've been made alive in Christ. I've been reconciled to God. And the reality is, is me saying, you are a sinner too. But you can be reconciled to God as well. That is the point of this ministry. It's to work through these things, find healing, find his grace, accept his grace, respond to that grace, but then take that grace out and teach others about that same grace so they can experience the thing that you have experienced. And then there are some things that follow. 
When we share these new lives, we share our stories, and each of us has a unique story to tell. But the reality of that also is, is the story that you may think is yours is not your story. It's God's story. But you played a part in God's story, and that is what you share. It's simple enough. All we have to do to share what we have is to share what we know, and what we know is God and what he has done for us, and that's what we give away. And the results of doing that is then fellowship and joy. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, and what John says about this. He says, we have, uh, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It says, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John, a disciple of Jesus, an apostle of Jesus Christ, understood that the thing that he knew was meant to be shared. He knew that because Jesus flat out told him, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power. He's going to bring to your remembrance everything that I've taught you. You can go back to last week when we talked about what happens when the Spirit came. But John, having that understanding, knew he was meant to give this away and to proclaim that to people also so that they would have fellowship with us and that we would have fellowship with the Father and we would have fellowship and then our joy would be made complete in that. Church, some of the most joyful moments in my life have happened here. Around 11 years ago, God called me back to his church from a life of wandering and rebellion. I was the prodigal son. But the Lord called me back. And the joy and blessings that I've experienced, I've experienced in fellowship with him and in fellowship with his church. And all the things that I say I found joy in before pale in comparison to the joy that I find in you and in fellowship with you, and in fellowship with, his Lord, with the Lord. God's word makes clear that's what's present. So if you, if you desire joy, real joy, then connect. I'm, uh, yes, we're, we're teaching on regeneration because it's open enrollment right now, and I desire for you to go through that. Everyone in this room, if you're a sinner, you need regeneration. But even if you do not plug into regeneration, I pray that you plug in some way here to experience a joy that you've never known that only comes through the Lord. But again, God created us for relationship. So we share the gospel to, enjoy, to invite others into that fellowship with us, with him, with his son. And when we do this, God completes our joy. Now I'd like to return back to Isaiah 61 real quick. Remember all that that the anointed one that Jesus does, the grace that he brings, the accepting of that grace, he says that they shall, those that accept that grace, they shall be called oaks of righteousness. Again, it's the poor that heard his good news, the brokenhearted who were mended. It was the captives that were set free. It was those that experienced the Lord's favor, those comforted in their mourning. They become the planting of the Lord. They become oaks of righteousness for his glory. Oaks grow into massive trees. An oak grows upward towards the Lord, but it grows outward and it provides an abundance of shade to any that would come and rest under its branches. For those that accept God's grace and understand that grace, they realize it, their need for it, they accept it, they respond to it. Those he calls oaks of righteousness. Now, how do these oaks respond? Again, look at verse 4. I want to read this from the NASB. It says, They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations, and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. So key words to note in that verse is rebuild, repair, ancient ruins, former devastations, ruined cities, many generations. All of these things indicate a past tense something. They delineate something that once was but is no more. But the truth of it is, church, is that it can be again, hence rebuild and repair. And who is it that's doing the rebuilding and the repairing? It's the oaks of righteousness. 
So the question as we wrap this up that I have for you is, are you an oak of righteousness? Follow-up question to that, if you're not, do you desire to be? Now realize, we're all being conformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3. Right? This is done in Christ by His Spirit, so we're not all growing at the same way. If you're a new believer in the room, you may not be an oak yet, but you, grow, you should be a desire to grow to that thing. But I know that there are oaks in this room. I know that there are oaks in Edgewood. I know there are oaks that are watching online. But I also know that there are saplings. I know there are those that exist that need the comforting shade of the massive oak nearby when the sun is at its highest in the day. They need the sun, but they also need the shade to grow. But is there anyone in here that for, you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, maybe 40 years? Are you an oak? Would fellow believers find shade under your branches? Do you desire to be that? But that is why we will always contend here that some of the most faithfully mature believers are those that have entrusted themselves to the Lord and His work in their heart as they walk through the process of regeneration. Hands down, some of the most healthy people in this body are people that have gone through regeneration. That's not to say that there aren't healthy people that haven't gone through regeneration. But if we entrust ourselves to the Lord and the working of those steps, the Lord will use that. He has used that ministry in mighty ways to grow oaks of righteousness. And if you desire that, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. on this campus, come with some questions, come to hear Pray through what your response may be to the Lord's prompting. And allow Him to do a work in your life that only He can do for His glory. Because these oaks of righteousness, they're the planting of the Lord, but to glorify Him. If we come through this, if we approach this simply to be healed for stop sinning, I'm tired of doing this sin and I want to, let that, I want to learn to let that go. If that's your desire and your motive to come to regeneration, come to regeneration. For sure. And I pray that through that process, you will learn that's not the reason the Lord has you there. And then you meet Him in a fresh, new way. So that your heart would change by His power to do His will in your life. And that you may go out from that point to a wonderful life of ministry. And I don't mean vocational ministry. Every believer in this room is called to a ministry of reconciliation. We are ministers of reconciliation. Regeneration is just the tool to teach you how to do that. And I pray that you would desire, desire to do that. And I would encourage you that. So the last couple of weeks, um, we have wrapped up with a, an interview. We Wanted you to be able to hear from someone that's been through the ministry, so we're going to wrap up our time this morning in, in a very similar way. Well, not similar, I guess the same exact way. We're going to interview somebody. Um, but this is uh, Billy Venable, and um, he is a dear friend, and he is someone also that I would consider an oak of righteousness within our body. So, Billy, thanks for, for uh, being willing to step up here and and answer a few questions. Um, so, introduce yourself. Um, hello, uh, I'm Billy. Um, I have a new life in Christ. I struggle with pride, uh, control, and people pleasing. Hi, Billy. Okay, well, um, so question number one, um, how would you categorize your walk with the Lord prior to Regen? Well, I came to know the Lord at the age of 12 and accepted him as my savior and Lord. Um, during my teen years, uh, I, I grew, um, I was very active in church. Um, Lord led me into my early adulthood. I, uh, joined the air force. I moved around. I, I continued to plug into local churches whenever I had moved, uh, continued in community. Uh, I had some great Christian mentors, uh, when I was a young man. Um, but then after one move, I, I didn't get plugged in. Uh, 
I, um, I felt like I was strong enough. Pride crept in. Um, uh, I was in isolation uh, without anybody speaking truth into my life. Um, sin crept in. Um, after a few years of just realizing that, you know, I, I had this unrepentant sin, I wasn't, I was living apart from God. Then guilt and shame set in. Uh, and that was difficult to, to struggle with. And I'd been attending Stone Point after I moved back to the area. And uh, when I heard about regeneration, I thought it wasn't for me at first. Um, but then, um, you know, uh, Spirit led me to show up uh, one Monday night uh, because I knew I, I couldn't do this by myself. Yeah. Cool. Praise the Lord. Yep. So as you walk through that, um, so twofold here, one, what is... What was the most rewarding part of the process for you, and um, what was the most difficult? Um, well, for the rewarding part, really two things. When I walked in the door, the very first few weeks, I realized that I wasn't alone in this struggle. There was a bunch of other men who were here in, 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 uh, in the same place as me. And then second, um, as I went along and I went through the process, um, there was a peace and a joy that I had experienced in my younger uh, Christian life that had been gone for a while. So uh, have that return was a wonderful blessing. Uh, the difficult part was uh, inventory and confession. Uh, you had to embrace your brokenness. Mm. It's a tough thing to do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. necessary though. Yes, right? absolutely. Um, so last week, Carla, she, um, um, as a leader, she mentioned... Um, Something just the things that bring her just a great joy and a blessing as a leader um, was seeing light bulb moments for people that go through it. Um, as you work through specifically steps 10, 10, 11, and 12, what was a light bulb moment that you had during that time? Um, well, when you get to those later steps and you've gone through the first nine, um, I had several light bulb moments, but there was also moments where I felt. Uh, it was a weight lifted off of me moment. Uh, part of it in the later steps when, as you spoke before, is I was so focused on sin management mm -hmm. and, and trying to act a certain way and, um, you know, on my own power to be Christ-like. And when I gave up on that and just, you know, understood that I don't have the power, I have to trust him uh, and follow him. And so instead of looking back at your sin, you're looking forward at Christ and putting oh, yeah. the center of your life, focusing on abide daily, getting in his word, and and then, you know, um, he has the power to, to to restore your life and to bless you. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So at at any point then would you say throughout the ministry and those steps, you're reworking in some ways steps one one, two, and three. I mean, continuously. <laughs> continuously. Uh, is just yeah, admitting, believing, and trusting the Lord to do that thing. That's, that's needed. Yeah. So um, after commencing, how would you categorize your walk with the Lord? Uh, it's still a struggle, and, yeah. and, but you feel equipped on how to respond uh, to that. Yeah. Um, and um, so I felt more confident in being a spiritual leader in my home, uh, to ministering to my wife and children. Um, and then also I, I felt uh, just the call to serve and started serving here at, at Stone Point. Yeah, yeah, and Billy, he's he's one of our, our service leaders for our First Impressions team here on this campus and uh, serves in deeply meaningful ways. He's plugged into a journey group, um, and he's walking faithfully uh, with that group and an integral part of that group as well. Um, so easily, brother, I would say you're an oak of righteousness, and I'm thankful for you, and I'm, uh, I'm glad that you're here. And thank you for sharing with us a little bit this morning. Um, so church, as we end, um, one thing that he said there was, was that you're, you're not alone. Your struggle, your sin is not unique to just you. Um, if you think that it is, the enemy will use that to keep you in that place of, as he said, shame and guilt if we understand we're not alone in any of that, nothing is unique, nothing is new under heaven, we will find when we come 
that everyone else is just like us. They need Jesus, but he's right there with his hand out, just waiting for us to take it. Um, and that is today, that is tomorrow, church. You could walk out of this room. You could remain in your chair and bow your head at the close of this service, and you could call on the Lord right now, and you can find healing for your soul. Regeneration is a tool. It's a useful tool. But you have his spirit present within you. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer and you desire to be, you have his spirit all around you and every believer that's in this room. And if you feel that spirit prompting you to respond to his grace right now, look for someone. Find me. Find Billy. Anyone you know, Edward, or he's on the Edgewood campus, Clarissa, Charlie, who's here. Don't walk out of this room if you sense God's grace knocking on the door of your heart. Respond to that. And you will find in that moment regeneration. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for a ministry such as regeneration, Lord. And, and, and it is a ministry within your church. It's not the, the, the end-all, be-all. But it is a ministry that you use, you have used, you will continue to use to reconcile people to you. Lord, and I pray for all those that are currently walking through that. I pray for those that have already come to begin the adventure of it and the work of it. I pray for those that are right now kind of wrestling with the tension of whether or not they should commit to such a thing. I pray that you would settle their heart that yes, the answer is yes, that they should commit to such a thing. For I pray that it's at your prompting, at your leading, Lord, that whatever their desire may be, you would use that time, Lord, to position their heart before you, to know you in a deep and abiding relationship and allow you to do the work in their life that they have failed to do to this point that they live. And I pray for a person in the room right now that, Lord, that by your spirit you're tugging on their heart you desire to open their eyes to see clearly your grace, their need for your grace, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for this morning for a response to your grace by your spirit, Lord, for the salvation of a soul, for your glory. Lord, we love you, Lord, and pray you continue to do what only you can do in the lives of your people. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.